Let's open in prayer. And we'll be in Genesis chapter 7. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you to, in song. And as we look into your word, that you we worship you in your word. And we just thank you for this opportunity in your son's precious name. Amen. Genesis chapter 7. And, Noah said, and the Lord said to Noah, Come you in your house into the ark, for I have seen righteousness before me in this generation. Of every clean beast you shall take by the sevens, and the male and his female, and of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. The fowls also of the air by the sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his son, and his wives, and his son's wives with him into the ark, because the waters of the flood, of the clean animals, and of the beasts that were not clean, and of the fowls, and of the things that creeped upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah and into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. We're going to stop there for just a moment and start looking at some of these things. The Lord said to Noah, Noah was the only one that God determined righteous to show grace to during this period of time. And we know that God told him, if you remember what we talked about last week, that he told him the days of man will be 120 years. So he had 120 years to build this big ark that we talked about last week. So we see, and then God told him it was time to go in. Very important that when God tells you to do something, you go do it. Because even at this point, Noah had an opportunity to say, well, no, I'm not going to go in this ark. I spent 120 years building it, but I'm not going to go in. But nobody in their right mind would have. <laughs> and Noah was in his right mind. When we look at this, and it says, and every clean beast you shall take by the sevens. Now, this word literally in the Hebrew is seven sevens. <laughs> it's seven twice. And it means that of every clean animal, he took 14 of them instead of two. That may be news to some of you, but when he took and loaded into the ark of the clean animals, he took 14 animals, seven pairs. And the unclean animals, he took two. And I want to show one other thing is, a lot of people will say, well, how did Noah gather up all these animals? Well, Noah did not gather up any animals. He stood by the ark and God sent him the animals. Uh, the animals are pretty obedient. They know when to obey God too. And they, they, they came to Noah. And this is just something we want to bring out to you because I've heard this complaint, you know, well, how did Noah you know, get all these animals gathered up? Well, God sent them. Very simple answer because it tells us they came, they came unto Noah. And of the birds, they, were, they came by the sevens also for 14 of them. And then God said, it's going to rain in seven days. Now in, Hebrew, we're to, in Hebrews, we're told that Noah preached while he was building. How would you like to preach for 120 years and have nobody respond? <laughs> Not a soul responded to his message for 120 years. And God said, it's seven days and it's time to get into this ark because he's going to destroy everything. And it said that Noah did according to all that the Lord had told him to do. 
I wish my testimony could be that I did everything that God told me to do. <laughs> but Noah was a righteous man and he obeyed God. He built an ark. Spent a lot of time building this ark. And remember we talked last week, it's at least 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, and that's using a Hebrew cubit of 18 inches. If you use the Egyptian cubit, it was 600 feet long by uh, 90 feet. <laughs> so, but it's, we don't know exactly how big, but it's big. And we talked about how he could fit all these animals, all the food, three decks. The animals only took about a third of the space. We, we look at this and say, that was a big ship that he built. And we talked about how we know that it was a valid ship. The Sunday School today was talking about, do we take the Bible literally? And before I started this, I said, the first rule of interpretation of the Bible is, if it can be taken literally, you take it literally. Now, do you take every word of the Bible literally? No, there are times when it's being used as a symbol. And we use the same thing. You know, we, we, we will say that the sun set in the west. Now, we know that the sun did not set, that the earth turned around. <laughs> but we still use figures of speech. Okay, And the Bible has figures of speech. And when it's obviously a figure of speech, you take it as a figure of speech. But when it says something that can be taken literally, that the ark was this big, we say the ark was that big. When we are going to get through with this and we find out that Noah was, was on that ark for 110 days, he was on the ark for 110 days. It's not, there's no ambiguity there. It gives us a time and date when it started and a time and date when they got off. So there's no, well, maybe, maybe he only spent 100, you know, you know, 60 days. No, it says 110 days between those dates. So we want to be able to look at this. When God says he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, we know that he created the, day, the world in six days and rested on the seventh because that is something that we can literally understand to be true. So we want to be looking at the Bible and say when it is true and can be taken literally, we take it literally. If it's obvious that it's a, a picture, when it says that God is like a bird, with his wings out, grabbing his chicks, we know that God is not a big bird. <laughs> okay, that is a picture of, that we could look at if you're used to birds, watching birds cover the, the mother bird protecting their young. So we, we bring that out because this is a section of the scripture that people like to say, well, these are stories, you can't believe them. <laughs> no, these are actual factual accounts that God told Moses. So we wanna just keep that in mind that this is literal. And sometimes that bothers people when I tell them it's literal, but it is literal. <laughs> this is seven days and it's going to flood. And it says very clearly that Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were upon the earth and his sons and his wife, uh, daughter-in-laws and the animals all and his wife got on the ark. And so we're going to look at the next section here. Verse 11, and in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month of the same, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights, the selfsame day that Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons came into the ark. 
they and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind and, the, and every bird of every sort. They went in to, unto Noah into the ark, two and two, all flesh wherein there was breath. And they that went in were in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded and, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bare up the ark and it lifted up above the earth and the waters prevailed and there was increased greatly upon the earth and the ark went upon the face of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole of heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved upon the earth both of the fowl and the cattle of the beast and of the creeping things that creeped upon the earth and every man all in whose nostril was the breath of life, and all that was on the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the earth, both man and cattle and creeping things and fowl of heaven, and they were destroyed from the ark, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him, and the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So we look at this statement. They all got on the ark, Noah and his whole family, his sons, their daughter, the, his daughter-in-laws, his wife, the animals. And I want to just point out, it says in verse four, eight, uh, 16, the Lord shut him in. Remember, there's one door on the ark. He's been preaching for 120 years. He'd been telling them that God was going to flood the world. And we talked about last week, you know, he's talking about rain. They have never had rain. It tells us earlier that God watered the ground by a mist that came up, and, and watered the ground. So he's telling them this very strange thing. There's going to be rain. What's rain? That's water falling from the sky. Noah, are you insane? <laughs> yeah. How many times do we as Christians give a message that people don't understand? Told, we're told that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to them that are going to not accept, that are Gentiles. When we tell people that Jesus rose from the dead, how hard is that for people to believe? It's not an easy statement to believe, is it? Jesus was the Son of God, fully God and fully man that lived for 33, 34 years on this world and died for our sins. Foolishness to those that are, are destined for hell. Great truth to us that believe. And yet foolishness. We say that Jesus rose from the dead. And we've gone over the proofs and evidences of the fact that he rose from the dead that, that we can bring out. But the world looks at it and says, what foolishness. How can you believe that? We say that Jesus, that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. What does the world say? Ah, you're foolish. Evolution is what's gone, is true. And we can point out all the flaws of evolution and all of that, but it doesn't matter to the world, it's foolishness. Noah preached a lot of foolishness to the people as far as they were concerned. But God shut him in. Can you imagine what it was like when the water started falling from the sky? And all these people who had not believed Noah all of a sudden are going to be very quickly believers that there's going to be a flood? Something's happening that has never happened, and, and Noah had told them that it was going to happen. 
and the water starts falling. Probably didn't worry about it too much on the first, first hour or two. <laughs> but as it kept raining, kept raining for days, the water starts gathering up. God shut Noah in the ark. Can you imagine what it would have been like to Noah to have the people coming to the ark? Let us in. Sorry, God shut the door. You could have come in any time before, but God has shut the door. There's going to be a time in this world when we have, we've preached the gospel that the church is taken out in the rapture. And this is a picture of God protecting his people and judging the world. There's going to be a time when the church is taken out and the people are going to go, uh, let us in. We believe now. Now that we see and it's no longer faith, we believe this is the people that Noah was dealing with. God shut him in. And we remember we said that Noah's father died two years before the flood. His grandfather died the year of the flood. It's very possible that his grandfather was out there wanting to be let in. Perhaps he died a couple of years before, but we, he probably died in the flood. Can you imagine the heartbreak that Noah has? All of a sudden, everybody wants in that ark. And it's too late. We need to be preaching the gospel because there is a time that's too late for people. If we don't give the gospel to our family members and they pass away, they're headed to hell. If they reject the gospel, that's between them and God. You've done your job. Death is one mark. The rapture of the church is going to be the other mark. They have to make a decision before the church is taken out. Will there be people that are saved afterwards? Yes, but not ones that have heard the gospel as far as I'm concerned because God said there will be a great delusion upon them. Jesus is that ark. Jesus is the way out of, of destruction. We have to come into that ark. And God shuts us in. God shuts us in. And we've talked about this. When you get saved, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He covers our sin with his blood and he covers us with his righteousness. God looks at us and says, this is my perfect child. Why? Because what he sees is Jesus. <laughs> we are placed in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. We are, are, we are crucified with Christ. And we live with Christ. Salvation is such an important thing. We recognize we're a sinner. We recognize that we deserve punishment. We recognize that Jesus paid for it. And we ask him to come in and dwell, and dwell us. And he does. And when he does, we're clothed in righteousness. We're inside the ark. We're in protected. When the storms come, we're protected. And this storm was like no other storm. 40 days and 40 nights of rain. I don't think I've ever seen quite that long a rain. And we're not talking about just rain. It says that the fountains of the deep were opened and the windows of heaven were opened. And these words are very strong words. Apparently, when God created the world, he put a lot of water underneath the ground. And we know that there's water under the ground even today. But apparently he opened up all that water and it came gushing up. Uh, I've seen a couple of movies where they show the water coming up out of the ground. Very accurate in that. 
But it says he opened the windows of heaven, which in Hebrew says he opened the sluice gates of heaven. Now, if you've ever opened a sluice gate or seen a sluice gate open, it, the water gushes from it. For 40 days and 40 nights, it wasn't just rain. It was a deluge. It was a massive storm. And it took something the size of the ark to be able to weather the storm that was coming. And we talked about last week that the six to one ratio that the ark was built on has been proven by scientists to be the best design for an ocean-going vessel. It is very hard to turn it over. It's very hard to capsize it. And God gave them the right measurements for building this boat to restore, withstand the worst storm that this world has ever seen. And the waters came up and covered all the hills to the point of 15 cubits. So somewhere between 22 and a half feet to 30 feet above the highest mountain. Now a lot of people will go, well, you can, there's not enough water to cover Mount Everest. Well, who said a mountain the size of Mount Everest was around before the flood? <laughs> there's, no, there's no proof that there were thousands of feet of, of mountain before that. The mountains could have just been raised so that God could have created the Marianas Trench and the Atlantic Trench to be able to pour the water back out. And he raised the big mountains. It may have been a fair, relatively flat world at that time. We don't know. One other thing we're probably sure of, that there probably wasn't a Mount Everest. <laughs> there wasn't a Mount Kilimanjaro. There wasn't these big mountains that are super tall. But even if there was, if you push the Marianas Trench up and the Atlantic Trench up, there's a lot of water that gets displaced because those trenches are about the equal of the big mountains. So it's not hard to figure out because a lot of people will say, well, where'd all the water go? Well, the water went into those trenches. The water's frozen on the poles. We have lots of places for the water to be when you take and look at it. And you bring the average height of the mountains down a bit and you've got no problem. But God broke up a lot of things to bring this water out. And I just bring these things out because this is literal and it's not hard to be literal with this. It is not hard to figure out what God was talking about when he said the water covered the highest mountains. Now how do we know it covered the highest mountains? Because God told us. God told us that it did. Because he was destroying everything that breathed air. And, he's, and it said the waters kept on the land for 150 days. 150 days before it started to recede. Basically a half a year. And then it started receding. They're going to be on the ark for a lot longer as the water recedes. Because it's going to take some moving to get down. But God protected them. God protects us in our daily walk. One of the greatest things and thrills that I have is to know that God's in charge. The more we believe that God is in charge, the less we have to worry about what's going on in our life. Do we realize and fully understand that God knows everything that is going that has happened, is happening, or will happen to you. Nothing gets by God without him saying, yes, it can happen. We think about this with Job. 
You know, Satan goes before God and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's answer was, uh, yeah, I really have, but you've got this hedge around him and I can't touch him. And God said, okay, you can do this. Then later on he said, you can do this. Then later on he said, you could do this. Satan has to get permission to harm God's children. Furthermore, Satan has to have permission to harm the ones that aren't God's children. Why do I know this? Because Satan hates humanity. If he didn't need permission, he'd kill off all of humanity and bring him straight to hell. He can't even kill any of the humanity without God's permission to kill them, even when they're not his children because God created everything and he's in charge. So nothing in this world happens without God knowing about it. This should give us great peace and comfort. No matter what happens, God is allowing it. And if I can take that attitude into everything that goes in my, in my path, I'm going, okay, God, what is it you want me to learn? What is it you want me to do? We just talk to God and say, God, there's a reason for this, and I need you to just help me know what this reason is. It makes life very easy. It gives us a peace that passes understanding that he tells us we're going to have because he's indwelling us. He's the one that defends us. In our Psalms class, we've talked a lot about let God be your defense. How many times have you tried to fix attacks on yourself and made problems worse? I'm very good at that, or used to be very good at that. I've, I've learned to pretty much just back off and let God be my defender. Because I always would get in there and I'd stick the, stick this, the stick in the beehive and more bees would come out. <laughs> it's much easier just to say, God, I'm going to let you deal with this. And sit back and watch him deal with it. Be very careful. God is in control, always. Sometimes we get things that are our fault. We've, we've created our own problems, and God says, okay, you've been misbehaving, you can have the consequences for your misbehavior. Sometimes we're just being tested. And we've shared this with you. A lot of times when we learn something, God is saying, do you really believe it? And he gives us a test. Do you really believe? Do you really believe I'm in control? And everything seems to go out of control. For you to then decide, okay, God, I'm going to trust. Or, God, I've got to fix this because everything is going out of control. I don't know what happened to you. Now, we don't usually use those words, but isn't that what we're doing when we, when we get into a bad situation? Everything seems out of control and we go to fix it ourselves. We're just basically telling God, God, you kind of got lost here. I don't know what happened to you. You're out of control. I've got to fix this. As we make a bigger mess out of it. And God's saying, just relax. Relax in him. We look at Jesus and how Jesus was being pressed all the time. I wouldn't want to have been Jesus at all, you know, because every time he went, crowds gathered. Everywhere he went, other people were trying to get in the way and have them, their needs taken care of in the middle as he's on his way someplace else to take care of needs. And yet, he took care of those needs. He's going to, he's going to heal this girl who's dying and ends up having a resurrection because somebody else comes along and needs a healing. And he stops and heals that person. Why? Because he took the opportunity that the Father gave him. We need to be very sensitive. And I've been hearing a lot about this and I've really been considering about this. We need to start each day with a simple prayer. God, what do you want me to do today? 
Not get my agenda in the way. Not get my plans in the way. Because almost every time when we've got plans, we overlook all the opportunities God puts in our place because we're so focused on our plans. And this is what I tell you. If you ever see me out when I, at a shopping at Smith's or Walmart and I walk past you without saying hello, don't take personal because when I go to those places, I'm on a mission to get in and out. <laughs> I, oh, believe me, it's all... Lynn, Lynn will be busy talking. I'll go shop and I'll find her where she was talking. So, <laughs> But you know, that's just me. I hate shopping. To me, it's something that has to be done once in a great while. And when I do it, it's in and out. But having said that, I'm also wonder at times how many times have I missed an opportunity from God to minister because of my attitude towards shopping. I can guarantee you I've probably missed many opportunities to minister. There was a man that used to do the men's breakfast in, a, in another church, and it's, he said it took him three hours to go buy the supplies for the men's breakfast. Not because it took him three hours to buy the supplies, but it took him three hours because he spent two and a half of the time talking to people, inviting them to the breakfast, ministering to them. I know that I've missed opportunities by, with, by the way I've dealt with it. And I, something God has worked on me. He's, he's softened me up a lot over the years. I, I tend to pay attention to people a little more than I used to. But I used to be a very schedule-oriented person. I've got to be someplace at a certain time and don't get in my way. <laughs> I missed many opportunities that God gave me to minister. We need to open our eyes and say, God, what is it? You, where is the divine appointment you have for me to minister? Who is it that I get to share the gospel with? Who is it that I get to just show the love of Christ to? Who is it that I can pray for in the midst of this activity? Because we are to care for one another. We are to show love to not just other Christians, but to the world. The greatest opportunities we have is to show that love to the world when they, they know that they don't deserve it. When we show love to one another and we know that it's not deserved. It's called grace. We give grace to one another. And grace is such a wonderful thing. All of us want grace given to us. All of us. We all want God's grace. We all want grace from other people. How hard is it for us to give grace? I'll hear people go, well, they don't deserve it. Well, of course they don't deserve it. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be called wages. If they deserved it, they would be getting what they deserve, not grace. I don't want what I deserve. I want grace. Because if I get what I deserve, I'm going to hell. Plain and simple. I want God's grace. I want to show people God's grace as much as possible. Will we be perfect at it? No, unfortunately we won't. But the more we practice it, the easier it gets. The more we practice loving one another, the easier it gets. The more we give mercy to people, the easier it gets. Because it is a spiritual discipline and walk. It takes a long time to develop it. But with, with every other place where we grow, the more you do something, the better you get at it. Same thing when, we, when you, I think about driving a lot of times because I've taught so many people to drive. 
Most people don't remember their first time, but this group has probably trained kids to drive. And can you remember watching your kids as they're sitting there trying to figure out, okay, I push the clutch, I've got to shift it up, then I got to lift the clutch up <laughs> and push the gas. And by the time they get done pushing those four steps, they end up stalling the car. <laughs> okay. And then after years of doing it, you just get in the car and you're, just, you're flying around, you're not even thinking about all the steps anymore. It's the same thing with spiritual maturity. The more you do it, the more natural it becomes. When you first start trying to love people, it's a pain in the neck. (laughs) Plus, God keeps giving you all these people that are hard to love. (laughs) But the more you do it, the easier it gets. The more you forgive people, the easier it gets. Forgiveness is something that many of us have a hard time with. Learning to forgive one another. I've heard people go, well, they didn't ask for forgiveness. Who cares? God says forgive. I am glad that God didn't wait for me to ask for forgiveness before he forgave me. He sent Jesus so that I'd be forgiven. And when I came to him, he was able to say, here's your life. He loves us even when we're sinners. He didn't wait for us to become lovable. We're his enemies. God commended his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And yet we'll go, well, I can't love that person until they get their life kind of together. No, that's not God's love. That's man's love. Man's love is conditional. If they do this, then I will love them. If they behave this way, then I will love them. And God says, I choose to love them. He wants us to choose to love other people. And when you choose to love somebody, guess what? You're going to love them. Unless you choose not to. This is what true strong marriages are built upon. You have chosen to love one another. If you get married on emotions, which most people do in this world, they end up getting divorced in three to five years when the emotions fall away. Just to guarantee it's going to happen. When, if, the, if they're being married because they are emotionally attached to one another and they feel good and that person makes them feel good, as soon as that person stops making them feel good and starts wanting to be loved for just who they are, they end up getting divorced because they did not get married for the right way of love. Love is truly a choice. I choose to love this person. God chooses to love us, and we've talked about this. This is what agape, unconditional love, is all about. It's a chosen love. God chooses to love us, and because he chose to love us and he does not change, he will never unchoose to love us. He will always love because he's chosen to love. Doesn't mean he won't give discipline. Doesn't mean he won't send people to hell that have decided to turn away from him. They choose hell, he, he will give it to them. But it'll break his heart when he does it because he loves them. God protected Noah. He's been floating at the point we're leaving his story for 150 days already. And it's got more to go. God protects us. God keeps us protected. He's put us in Christ. As long as we choose to stay in Christ, we're protected. And this goes, the picture of the ark being in Christ. Uh, We're told that we accept Jesus and we're in Christ. We put on the whole armor of God and every piece of the armor is Christ. (laughs) 
We're placed in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. We're hidden in God. However you want to say it, we stay there. We're protected. The time we get in trouble is when I think, okay, I can go out there and take on the, the world. I don't know how many of you have ever tried doing that. Uh, I'm sure others are like me. You've tried it once or twice at least. To go out to the world and think, I can do this. And how quickly we get beat down. To be able to think that we can take on Lucifer, Satan, the demons. If nothing else, they've been around for at least 6,000 years. They're pretty smart. They've had a lot of practice. And we go in there thinking, I can take care of this. I can win this battle. not Not a good thought. So we want to challenge us as we look at this. We need to hide in Christ. We need to let him be our defender. We need to spend time just asking God, God, show me. And then opening our eyes. Quote that I give oftentimes is Blackaby in the experience of God says, look around and find out what God is doing and join him. Too many times we look around and say, God, I'm over here doing this. Get over here. And God kind of goes, well, I'm over here doing this. <laughs> you come to me. And yet many times we tell God, come to us. We need to be very careful, very much that we're looking at what God is doing and join him. Look for the opportunities to share the gospel, to share God's love. And some of it may just be ministering love to other Christians. It doesn't have to be the gospel being shared. A couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity. I was sitting at the doctor's office with, waiting for Lynn to get done with her doctor's appointment and somebody needed their car jumped. Just an opportunity to, to help jump, you know, get the car started and just talk for a moment or two. She was a Christian, but we, we talked. Just a little opportunity to bring God into the situation. Been able to bring God into the situation many times at the prison. We're talking to inmates and other staff. We look for those opportunities. What can I share? How can I share? Sometimes we're sharing just by being faithful. Do you realize that your walk with God is being looked at every day? People are watching you. They know you're a Christian and they watch you. They're going, how does a Christian react in whatever situation you're going through? Puts a little bit of pressure on us if we're trying to do it ourselves. But if I'm depending upon God and I'm relaxed in God, then who knows what it's going to be. It should be love. It should be grace. It should be mercy. It should be forgiveness. People look at that and say, this person's weird. I wonder if they're really this way all the time. And they start watching you even more. And eventually they'll go, what do you have that I don't have? What do you have that allows you to love people? What do you have that allows you to be forgiving? And we all know that forgiveness is probably one of the hardest things for a lot of people. I hear it from Christians a lot. I just can't forgive this person. Or I can't forgive myself. You know, we need to be very careful. God forgives. And if we say we can't, we're putting ourselves someplace with higher standards than God has. We want to be careful about that. God forgives. And that means I'm not going to think about the issue. I'm not going to talk about the issue. I'm not going to get embittered about that, that issue. I know that's hard. I know it's hard to do. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. 
Remember, we are growing in our spiritual walk. Everything that God throws in our way is very hard at the beginning. I don't think anybody in this room got, you know, one day stood up and started running when they were a baby. You had to start by rolling over. You had to start by crawling. Then you kind of stood up and used that. And then your parents maybe helped walk you around. And we don't remember that. We remember, all we can remember is we can been running, walking and running as far back as we can remember. Our Christian walk is the same way. We're going to stand up and fall down. Stand up and fall down. Not even taking steps. But we should be growing. If you're still not forgiving and not loving 20, 30 years into your Christian walk, then you've got a problem. You're that baby sitting on the carpet at 30 years old, not able to walk. And you know you'd be at the doctor's office long before 30 years old, (laughs) saying, what's wrong with this kid? As Christians, we learn to walk. We learn to run. Eventually, it gets pretty easy to do some of the stuff. And then God takes us to another area to learn to walk. But we need to learn to grow. It's very important that we're going to grow. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence. Lord, we ask that you put a challenge on people's hearts, that they will be challenged to let you lead them, to grow them that more and more that they will lead forward in their walk. And Lord, we just if there's anybody that doesn't know you, we ask that you burden their heart, that they will ask you, admit that they're a sinner, admit that they, need, that they deserve punishment, and ask you to come into their heart and that they will repent from their sins. And if they've done that, that they will contact us and let us know what you have done. Lord, for anybody in this room that needs the challenge, Lord, we ask that you just challenge people to live greater lives of trust in you to grow in their spiritual walk. In your son's name, amen.